We don't know what's going on. And if this has been getting worse, we're afraid that this could actually hit your respiratory system. You may just die in your sleep. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Uh, listeners, first of all, a shout out to Aisha Armstrong, who was a previous guest. She connected me with Brian Joseph today. He is the co-founder of RevGen Group. Brian, tell us what RevGen does really fast because you can say it much better than me. Oh, we're a social enterprise who's trying to fuel the greater good by empowering nonprofit leaders to address financial and human sustainability. Okay. So we're going to get back into human and financial sustainability in a minute. Tell us where you grew up and um, tell us about how your dad is Native American, which I think is amazing. Ah. But I don't remember the tribe, but you can tell me. (laughs) Okay. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in South Dakota, a small town, uh, not on the reservation. My father was uh, born and raised for a while on the reservation. We are Lakota. um, So that's the uh, tribe that we Wait, identify with. You're Lakota? Yeah. Did you say that to me? And I don't know. I can't it wasn't remember. a different word? No. Lakota? Oh my God, I thought it was well, totally something Yankton, different. Yankton, well, Sioux and, uh, Yankton Sioux and Rosebud Sioux tribes are the ones that we belong to. That's what, that's what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But wait, that's part of Lakota? Yeah. Lakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Dakota are actually three of the different tribes and it's just with the dialect, but that's a whole nother podcast and conversation. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, okay. Your dad was full blooded. No, your mom, my dad's just over half. Uh, so my mom is uh, full blooded Dutch. Um, she grew up in a town called Sioux Falls, which is the largest quote unquote city in South Dakota. I think at the time mm-hmm. when I grew up, it had maybe a hundred thousand people, maybe it has 200,000 now. So watch out. Um, but no, so very small town, very much uh, rural South Dakota. My parents met at Kmart. I always say, were we a product of a blue light special? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. That's yep. amazing. Were they working there? They were both working there. Or did they yep. just? No, they're both working there. My dad had a million odd jobs. He was, uh, you know, he's had this guy, he's had his previous lives. He's done everything from when he was really young to being a firefighter to he was a mechanic. He's been a deputy sheriff and an undercover narcotics agent. And where he landed oh was a truck driver because that was okay relatively safe for a family and provided for a while. And then he got injured and hurt and that led to a whole other conversation. But, yep. So... We grew up very okay. Meager. Grew up there. Yep. Very meager. Okay. Yeah. And um, any siblings? I'm the middle of five, so I mm-hmm. am. Uh, let's see. Middles are the best, right? That's what I always say. Um, so, older brother, older sister, and then younger brother and sister that are twins. I'm fortunate that my younger brother, um, I just announced today, was actually our co-CEO at the company here. So it's uh, it's fun. Yeah. Having some fun with things. Not always getting you work okay. with your siblings. Sometimes you say that could be hell, but sometimes it's like, no, it's actually, we're, we, we bring different skill yeah. sets. It brings a different dynamic at times, but you know, when you're yeah. both focused on the mission, it's good. And you learn how to, you figure out really fast how to work together. Yeah. Well, and we're five and a half right. years difference, right? So it's amazing how even your backgrounds, just kind of how you grew up 
is vastly different by that time. And even five and a half years, you know, when he's 12, I'm almost 18. Yeah. So you're, he's like, man, I barely saw you. You're always just working and gone. And then your life took a different turn and there you go. So. All right. Town that you grew up in small. Yep. Very small, small. around 800, 900 people. I think when I grew up, um, how many people were like in your grade school class? Oh, my graduating class was 46, I think. So very from grade school or high school from high school. That was high school. And pretty much, I mean, some of the people we, we grew up together the whole, whole time. Right. No way. Very small. Okay. Do you, do you, and do you go to college or what do you do? So good, good question. So when I say we grew up meager, we grew up very poor. I mean, we were a product of food stamps and there's times we wouldn't have lights and stuff on. Um, but you know, it, my dad has a GED. My mom does have a high school, um, diploma, but, uh, you know, they always wanted us to do better. We were, we did well academically. Um, but military was always our out. My older brother went military, um, regular army enlisted. And so when I got to be my turn, I always said I wanted to be a doctor is what I thought I wanted to be when I grew up, a heart surgeon. Um, our out being military was, I'm going to go do that. I mean, that's the route that we go because I mean, we can't afford college. And I had a guidance counselor who came to me and said, hey, we've never had a Native American uh, appointed to West Point. Would you be interested? They called asking. So I applied to the academy. Um, yeah. got the appointments, actually went to West Point prep is where I started. And three days before I left, my dad had a heart attack. So I was like, do I go? Do I stay? And I still remember him. We actually just talked about this. I stayed with him here recently. Um, when he was, he held my hand as he was in the, in the hospital and he said, you go, like you, you have to go. So I was there and you go through basic and all those fun things. And I remember calling home and apparently after I had left, my mom had been a prep cook at the local restaurant and it had closed. Mm -hmm. So now I have mm -hmm. two parents who are unemployed, who, you know, are not putting food on the table. My dad being a truck driver, he's an independent contractor. So if you don't, the wheels aren't turning, you're not making money. Right. Um, so I got the call from the commandant to come home. So to go home and help put food on the table. So that's what I did. And when I got home, I... Went, ended up going to the University of South Dakota. So you're 18. Yep. You leave. You come back. Yep. W like, what are you thinking? What's going on in your head? Are you resentful? Are you like, no, I, I need to do this. Like, dream forgotten. Um, Where are you there? You know, one, you have an obligation. So you're like, of course, I'm going to go do this. You know, I mean, I'm not going to leave my family not to be able to eat. You are ashamed. Well, I guess when you put it like that. Well, yeah, but you're also ashamed, right? Because people are going to look at you and say, you couldn't hack it. You washed out, which is like oh. not the case, right? Because you're like, I didn't quit. Like, damn it, I can right. do that. That was already right. through the hard part, uh, getting into the academic part. But, uh, you know, so you deal with a lot of emotions. It's trying to process that and figure it out. I always knew I did not want to stay in my hometown. Like I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to do something more. You knew that. A thousand percent. Yeah. So literally when I got home, I went and got a job at the uh, new restaurant that opened up because um, I'd grown up working in restaurants, right? So I went and got a job there working 40 hours a week, took another job um, back that I could get at my con convenience store I used to work at. And I went 28 miles down the road was the University of South Dakota. So the local university, which is, you know how it is when you grow up somewhere near a university, like I am never going yeah. there. Well, totally, totally. I was yeah. the schlep yeah. that unfortunately it said no to the scholarships and things I was offered. And that's where I started going. I went part-time and then, uh, ended up going full-time. 
but uh, ended up actually dropping out my junior year. So, and then and then what? <laughs> well, the dropout thing was interesting. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's transitioned in there actually. For you know, with the the story of my life, the twists and turns. Um, I don't. You, you want all that? Do you want me to talk about any of that? I want I want you to talk about what you think is yeah yeah. It's interesting. So, you know, you go to college and it's funny because I had a conversation like this with my nephew a few years ago. You know, we put all this pressure on and my kids are about to. My, my kids are 17 and soon to be 16. So we're very much in the college conversations. And I remember a few years ago, my nephew was like, Uncle Brian, I don't know what I'm going to go to college for. And I said, that's all right, buddy. You don't have to. He's like, yeah, but they tell us that we do. And like all these things. I'm Nobody like, ever knew. Right. And that's what I told him. I said, I said, Jace. Nobody ever knew. I said, buddy. I said, Listen, when I graduated high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. He's like, you did? I said, of course. I'm like, I wanted to be a heart surgeon. Am I a damn heart surgeon? He's like, no. I'm like, then quit stressing about it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I do think it's interesting because I, I, I mean, I, I was almost like a theology minor. Right. Like I'm doing anything with theology. <laughs> I mean, like nothing. You just take classes you like. Yes. All right. So wait, the twists and turns of that, like anything. Um, Oh yeah. What what are the twists and turns in that? There's a million. So I go down there, end up moving, you know, go pre-med because that's what I was going to do. And quickly yeah. realize like my personality is not geared towards let me go study medicine, very detailed microbiology and everything else for, you know, PCAM and all those other fun courses. I'm like, nope, I'm out. So, you know, then what am I, what am I going to be? Like, I'm not exposed to anything. So I obviously a natural transition is I become a psychology major because isn't that what a lot of us do and we don't know what else to do and we have some science classes. <laughs> I'm studying psychology. Don't ask me. Listen, don't make fun of the psychology <laughs> because I was one. I, I, I would I probably use that more than anything, candidly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but through the the weird twists and turns where I used to work three jobs while I went to school and one of them I'd gotten hired at a local CD shop there. I can't believe you worked. I'm sorry. I can't believe you worked three jobs. Mm -hmm. How many hours of sleep do you need a night? <laughs> now I get a lot more. Back then I didn't get nearly as much. <laughs> How many? Now I probably- Like five? Uh, six to seven is what Back I- Back then. Before. Back then, oh yeah, four to five if I was lucky. You just, you're working to pay for okay. stuff. You know, back to, hey, yeah. didn't have a 529 plan, didn't have somebody to pay for school. Um, right, or the grind. Rent. Right. So definitely in the grind. Um, yeah. But I, at my CD shop, I used to have this guy that would come in and, you know, I read a lot. I listened and I love music as you, as you know. Um, and he would always ask me questions about books and music and I'm kind of eclectic and I run the gamut and I'd seen him for months. And then one day he was checking out and he said to me, and it was in September and I still remember this. And it, he said, what do you do during the summer? I said, I work between 80, 90 hours a week and, you know, make money so I can go to school the next semester. He goes, you ever thought about going into business? I'm like, I can't spell business. Like, whatever. He's like, no. He goes, I'm looking for Wait, 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 wait. Is this the guy? Is this the guy that <laughs> no, was your mentor? No, this a is a different guy? one. This guy introduced okay, me to business. Okay, because we're going to talk about him. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the guy, though, that introduced me. He said, look, I'm looking for an intern. It's paid. If you're ever interested, let me know. So I took his card and I said, thanks, but no thanks. And, and out he went. Well, fast forward a few months. And in South Dakota, we get really cold wind chills. And it was December, and I remember it was hitting 100 degrees below zero wind chills. So college is canceled. You can't go outside. And so I'm bored. Yeah. And about the third day, I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do? You know. So I called the guy. 
And I said, hey, you left me this card. Tell me about what you do. And he said, I'm stuck in North Dakota. When I get home, why don't we have lunch and I'll tell you about it. Long story short, we got together for lunch. He brought another guy who was about 10 years older than me that had been an intern with him previously and had done very well financially. And they showed me and they did a roadside assistance product with an insurance wrapper. And he was like, you know, if, if you do this, he goes... Okay, you can make listeners, money. Brian has explained <laughs> this to me before, and I didn't understand it then. But just give a high level, like when you say a wrapper and this stuff, I don't know what that means. So if you think about AAA combined with an Aflac all-accident policy, think of it that way. So, okay. But instead of a wrapper, okay. meaning that instead of being individually underwritten, it's a blanket policy. So all we had a half million members. All half million members actually have the policy. So it levels out the claims usage so you get a really cheap product for really good coverage. Okay, it was okay, genius okay. how they did it. It was actually really brilliant. So that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. So you go work for them. You get an internship and you work for that guy. Yeah. I, well, I go to work for them. The only reason I go to work though, that's an important part is literally we're sitting there at lunch and I'm like, I don't do sales. Like that's not me. Right. I can't convince me. He's like, no, it's just showing people what we do. And he literally said to me, he goes, how much money do you make? I said, well, I told you I'll work between 80 and 90 hours a week and I'll make roughly 32 to $3,400. And he goes, what if I told you if you come to work and be my intern that you'll make six grand this summer and you'll work less than 40 hours a week? And I said, what do you mean by guarantee? And he said, he goes, if you don't, I'll write you a check for the difference. I said, put it in writing? He goes, absolutely. I said, congratulations, you got an intern. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so, is that, so is this why is this why you leave school? No. To go work for him? No. So I worked for the company that summer. I actually did really well. I actually made $1,000 a week. So I made $13,000. You were a good salesperson. I, it was a good product. It was, I'm not a good salesperson. I just shared it with people and they liked it. Um, and I went back to school. So it was October. I go back to school. And uh, okay. during that time, crazy enough fact, you had sold enough where I qualified for a trip to Dallas, which is where the home office was because it was a nationwide company. So I was like, well, hell, I might as well go down to Dallas. I've never done that. And while I was here, I met uh, yes. a gentleman who his name was Paik McIntyre. And Paik was the rookie of the year for the company. And this is a 50-year-old company. Uh, Paik McIntyre is the brother of a woman you may know who sings country music. Reba McIntyre. <laughs> yep, swear to true story. Can't make it up. I feel like maybe you told me that, but I didn't remember that. Yeah. Okay. So Paik, uh, he was a big rodeo guy. He was also a country singer. But because the all Wait, when you say rodeo, like go ride the horses oh, rodeo yeah. Yeah, like, or the bulls or whatever those are. Yeah. Like which big. I gotta tell you, I don't I have been to one. I would go to one again, but kind of makes me sad what they do to the bull. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a big rodeo guy. That's not something I've ever gotten I mean, into. I mean, it just it has their thing. Yeah, but I'm with you. I, I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to hurt okay. the animals, right? Yeah, <laughs> it makes me think of my dogs. Yeah. But anyway, right, right, okay, yes. So you meet him in Paycad, uh, and he shares a story with me. This fluke. One night when we're out at dinner, he shares that uh, he was at a rodeo and. A guy came up to him afterwards and said, hey, you sell that motor club thing that has an all-accident policy, right? Pake was like, yeah. He goes, we run a casino, and would you offer this on payroll deduction to all of our employees? And basically, over the next week, he signs up 300 and some members, which oh customers, which to put that in perspective, if I had a phenomenal week, I signed up like 30 people. Like, he crushes this. This is like, and, and, and he's telling me about this, and I'm like, what's payroll deduction? like, well, they just take it out of their paychecks. So I leave there and I'm scratching my head and I'm like, 
I think there's something to that. Well, Aflac, Combine Insurance, there's all these companies that actually do that. And it turns out our product was competitive with them, but our company had never done that. So I, I keep noodling on this and thinking, but I'm back in college. So I go back to school. And then my week of finals in December, I was an active fit, uh, you know, whatever it was at that time, 20, 20 year old, did intramural mm-hmm. sports and everything else. And I remember waking up and man, my left shoulder was killing me, like just mm-hmm. painful. Don't think anything of it. Go to your test, you study, you get a little bit of sleep, you get up, you get up the next morning. And the next day, my left shoulder and my left arm was like and my into my leg. And this pain got worse over the next couple of days and I am just getting crushed. So I'm just thinking it's stress and I'm getting the flu or something else, but holidays hit and I go home to see my family because they're still 25 miles up the road for Christmas. And I'll never forget. It was December 28th. My older brother was back from the military. He was going to fly out that morning. He was taking a flight out. The pain had gotten bad over Christmas, like all over my body, my muscles. And on December 28th, I woke up at about five in the morning, screaming in agony. It felt like somebody was literally ripping the muscles from my bones. My brother, who was a medic in the military, served over in, in the Gulf War and stuff, came rushing in there and he's like, what is going on? He's saying, oh, something biting you, something this. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm almost in tears. I'm like screaming at him, make it stop. So he yeah. helps my mom load me in the car and they rushed me to the ER. And for the next 18 hours, I think we were there, they pump me full of painkillers and everything else and run every test known to man. And basically, they don't know what's attacking my system. They don't know if I have Guillain-Barre. They don't know if I have MS. They don't know if I have some type of genetic disorder that's passed down because my mom has polio. But basically, they tell you, you know, we don't know what's going on. And if this has been getting worse, we're afraid that this could actually hit your respiratory system. You may just yeah. die in your sleep. So this is fun. We don't have insurance. So, you know, they send us home and keep us on pain meds and we set up appointments to come back with. So I go home, pain gets, you know, manageable with meds. And basically for the next year, I'm on a journey to just get better. So that's why I left school. I got deathly sick, um, uh-huh. but I actually ended up being a godsend and I can share that part too. <laughs> okay. Share that story. But what was it? Never diagnosed. What, what, what was Undiagnosed. I've done. I've been to Mayo Clinic. I've done muscle biopsies. I've done everything else. And literally for a year, they have, they still had no idea. It came back about ten years later. Only lasted about six weeks, um, but not nearly as bad. So it was just. Was it a stressful time when it came back ten years later? Yeah, it was. You know, had one newborn, another one on the way, getting an MBA, trying to start a company, transitioning out of a company. You know, all those fun things. <laughs> So it could be stress reduced oh my God. related. Okay. Why was it a godsend? Um, so the beautiful thing about the disease was it didn't impact my mind. So you're physically really, I mean, when I say physically, you couldn't do anything. I went from that active to, I couldn't squeeze toothpaste. I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't open a door. Like I oh my God. physically couldn't button my pants. I mean, when I say like lost all control of my muscles, like, lost our control. Um, but your mind works well, you get bored. And I was like, you know, what did I have success with? with? So my conversation went back to Mr. McIntyre and this little thing called payroll deduction. And I started thinking about like, how could I do this? And if I got moving, my muscles would be okay, but it was hard to get going like days. So I'd have a very short window that I could work, but I still got to make money. Like I got to pay the bills, right? I still have things I have to pay for. So I started jacking around with our little product and our little company on these things called payroll deduction. 
and I created the, I rearranged how we pitched it. I came up with a cold call and I read all kinds of books on how to do set appointments. And I started just experimenting with this. Well, because we were a nationwide company, word got up and guys started calling me up and other sales reps. And they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's just thing. It's called payroll deduction. We set it up. Well, you we sent me your kit that you made the, the pages. And I'm like, hey, I got to go to Kinko's to get those made. And that's when Kinko's used to charge like a dollar something a page, right? Remember that? And he'd have Not to get them, cheap. And get yes. them laminated. I'm like, you send me 90 bucks. Yeah. It cost me $89 and some change and I'll send you one. But I'm not. So I wasn't making money on it. But all of a sudden I start getting a lot of requests for these things. So I start sending them out. Well, little did I know that we managed over the next year, nine months or whatever it had been, the company puts on like three or $4 million in business, unbeknownst to me. Well, the company at that time was owned by Prudential. Prudential ends up okay. selling us to a company that was publicly traded health insurance company that underwrote the insurance portion. And when the new owners take place, they put a new CEO in place who wants to see growth. And he starts looking around. And all of a sudden, this company, you know, at that time, I think it was 26 or 28 million in revenue. They see all this business called payroll deduction and it's the biggest growth they've ever seen. And he's like, what's going on? So he calls the guy who hired me as the intern who runs the Midwest yeah. and said, Hey, do you know this guy that's doing this? He's like, he's a kid. <laughs> so, so they asked me to come to Dallas to which when Gene as my boss called me and said, would you go to Dallas? My answer was, hell no, I'm not going to Dallas. I ain't got the money to do that. <laughs> I'm so naive. It was so bad. And he says, no, 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 no. They'll, they'll, they'll fly you yeah, down. Yeah, but that's there. why they liked you, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to get this guy. <laughs> so they fly me to Dallas. And after I said no, and I was like, well, but I got to have a place to stay. Anyway, what I didn't know is basically the company had around $4 million in business at the time. And they didn't know how to bill it. So I fly down, I spend four days sharing a bunch of information, sharing what I know about it, this, that, and the other. And by the time I leave, they had offered me a job for a ridiculous amount of money to become a division vice president of the organization and figure all this out, move to Dallas and build this for the company. And how old are you? 21. Then? 21. Jesus. <laughs> yep. Uh, ripe old age of 21 with no business classes. That was impressive. <laughs> I know, but you figured it out. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, that was probably the beauty of it because you could see things in maybe a different way. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and, I, and I also got incredibly lucky. I mean, really, Sarah, what happened is when I got here, went to work. I, well, can I say something though? I, I do think, I, I mean, I don't know you that well, but I, I do, yes, you did get lucky, but I don't think everything's about luck. Like you, you had a lot of preparation. You, clearly had time to think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and I see your um, listeners, you can't see this, but Brian behind him has the man in the arena. Um, it's like a big poster. It's a big picture with the paragraph about that. And you stepped into the arena. Yeah. You stepped into the arena. Thousand percent. And what you accomplished probably by the age of 30, you never would have dreamt that you could accomplish, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it led to so much more. How do you manage that success really young? And then I want to talk about how you think you're in your second act, which I, yes. You know, it's, it's good to be around people who are also talented because you get grounded quick. And, you know, for me, it was never 
crazy. It was always about things that were going to come. So it's, it's success. I think the biggest thing, Sarah, is the good, good aspect of it when it happens young is you start asking yourself, is this, is this it? You know, I've, 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 I've caught the, you know, I'm a proverbial dog that caught the car. Now what the hell am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've had the title, you've made some money, you've done fun things, you've been around amazing people, but what brings that fulfillment? What brings that contentment? Right. And, mm-hmm. and it does, and it's going to sound stupid cliche, but it, it really does bring home. It's about the journey, not the destination. And it's like, how do you find that? How do you find that? Right. How do you find that where you feel alive and you're having fun? And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, working at a restaurant, you know, serving people or if you're running a company. It's just like, how do you find that joy? Do you feel like you found it? No. Hell no. I'm still trying to find it. <laughs> Aren't we all? I'm trying to get I mean, we're all on our journey. And I think this is the, the second act part. I found things that I have tons of fun doing, like turnarounds. I mean, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the turnaround companies. It's not always a good thing though, because it can become all encompassing and then there's no balance, meaning there's no personal life. There's no health and fitness. You just, you're all in. And that's fun if that's what you want to identify only as a workaholic, but it's, you know, how do you find that I'm more than that? Like when, when did I lose the rest of who I am, the other things that I enjoy doing? It's hard. Yeah. I sent you and Aisha that, the Bono book and listeners, I posted this on Instagram too. Brene Brown interviewed him for the, for his new book called surrender. And she talks about the, and life can be a paradox, but the, and piece is what's kind of where it's at. So I think you're figuring out the, and like you can do all of this stuff and what else? And I'm for me personally, I think it's taking the pause to figure out what the other stuff is. Cause I know what I'm typically good, what I've been good at in the past, but can there be other things that maybe I weren't, didn't give space for yeah, or time for? Yeah. Well, and, and I think and like priorities change, but I don't want to say I'm in a second act. Cause you know, I have a problem with that <laughs> phrase because I think it makes you feel so old. Um, can we be in like multiple? Cause like if we're in the second act, then that means there's not a third. Well, I don't know if it has to be even a second a act. Fourth. I think it's just one. We're still in the same, we're still in the same dance. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause this is the, the person we didn't talk about when during my work journey, I ended up being lucky that a guy who be, did become a mentor is a guy who owned the company and, and, and we called him RJ. He had a tremendous amount of financial success and him and I had a lot of conversations about success and significance. What floats your boat? Right. Like what actually success and significance, right? You'll hear a lot of people will talk about success or significance. We always talk about success and significance, right? How do you actually do something that's worthwhile? And then when you yeah. talk about how your life changes, when I had kids, that's when I realized like, I didn't want to always be, I didn't want to be the dad who didn't know them. I didn't want to be the dad that they didn't. And I was just like, ah, I want to be a, I want to be present. I want to do stuff. I want them to know me. I want them to you know, they're only, it's going to be a moment in time that I, they, they think mm-hmm. I'm cool. Um, but I, that's, that was important to me. And I always, and I made it a point when I left the corporate world, I was like, no matter what I do, I don't want to work with assholes. That was my words. And just cause people that are egotistical and that's all they're going for. It's just not my thing. It's fine if it's theirs. And I wanted to be home every night or most nights that I could be for dinner. I didn't want to have to be like 
dragging in at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, trying to kiss them before they went to bed. I want to be home, have dinner every night that I could be home. Doesn't mean I couldn't travel. I would still travel, but that I could be home. Right. So it was a big cognizant shift. Like whatever that means for me, that's what I want to do. And the significance piece, is that also why you started RevGen? And you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, RevGen was a series of twists and turns. It was uh, something that, so when we talk about the human and financial sustainability, so we serve nonprofit leaders. The nonprofit space is tremendously fascinating, tremendously frustrating, but you'll never find just cooler humans who are just trying to change the world than you do here. Hmm. The things that they see as challenges and problems to go tackle it, um, it's just amazing. I mean, you know, everybody has a story and we typically don't know it. And as you learn about this space, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, what we used to do is always try to figure out ways that we can engage employees and everything else to have a purpose, right? Like uh, Ron had started mm-hmm. in his first company, something he called Fortuneers, where they would donate. And he just tried to carry that forward. So we always talked about finding a purpose you know, here's baked in. The mission is the purpose, right? You got people trying to solve Mm -hmm. literacy, poverty, environment, like you name it, they're trying to do it. But what we found, so the reason I, back to RevGen, is when I started working, and, and, you know, there's a fluke that I got into this industry at all, but when I started working with these amazing humans, you'd ask the leadership teams of these nonprofits, what keeps you up at night? You're you're thinking, it's like, wow, you know, like they're going to talk about their program and all these things. And 100% of the time, revenue. And, and I use that word agnostically, right? So I don't care if it's fill on, you know, donations, if it's government or if it's earned revenue, but it was always just about how they bring money in the door. And mm-hmm. after I'm a little slow, so about the fourth or fifth time I heard that, I was like, but a lot of what they're struggling with is they're still a business, just a tax status. And a lot of the principles that my mentor taught me on, you know, when we were trying to scale companies or turn around or fix them, et cetera, still apply. Like, you know, he always just tell me, Operating in the system, and he was he, his secret sauce was building and scaling national sales organizations. But he always told me, he's like, yeah. operating the system is different than building the system, Brian. I've taught you how to build a system. So to sit down with these nonprofit leaders to f- teach them how to build the system in their own organization for dynamic market yeah. that they're in is so rewarding. And that's where we started. Um, so the financial sustainability and how do we help them and, and serve them. And then that migrated into the human sustainability, which I won't go into all the details now, but that's, but that's a huge piece of it. So what, what was your why behind this? Like what was going on when you, had you stopped working with doing turnarounds and working in the corporate world and then you started that? Yeah, it was, I had left the for-profit world. Um, I woke up one day and just, my mentor had been, he was killed in a car accident unexpectedly. Um, we were, he was actually, we were having our conversations about success and significance. He was going to, actually, my brother and I were going to uh, buy a windmill company to try to change the environment. We were passionate about that. RJ was going to help us do that. Um, we had looked at five companies. And on a Thursday night at Labor Day weekend, 2005, um, we had agreed to buy one of them. And Ron and I shared a beer and we talked about some stuff and what we were going to do over the weekend. And next morning, he was flying up to Chicago. And on his way to the airport, he was he either clipped a semi or semi clipped him, and he crossed the median and hit another car head on, was killed instantly. So mm-hmm. my world took a shift. I was still running a company for uh, him and his family at the time. Fast forward a few years, and I just didn't have the energy. I was just like, I, I'm not 
showing up as a leader. So I resigned. And when I did that, I, you know, one of his sons uh, ran the, the family foundation and he came down and said, come up and help us in philanthropy. And I'm like, you know, James, I can't spell philanthropy. I don't know. You know, you guys give away money. I make you money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I agreed uh, a year later, I agreed to help them kind of build out their as a foundation operating strategy and how they did business. And that's where I got introduced. Um, I was very much still consulting, trying to do things in the for-profit world, but just I will start training for Ironmans and doing other things to fill my time. It's just like, okay, well, my kids are little and, and, and I can do this. I'm going to make some money here on the side and do some things, but I'm also just going to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Um, and then it was a couple of years later when I was like, wow, I should probably actually go back and, you know, I'm still young. I need to have a career and my kids need to yeah. like, well, you don't to need college. to have a career. Well, right? yeah. I mean, I need to do something. Oh, please. <laughs> uh, and that's when, you know, we actually tried to give this concept away to a consulting firm who was very polite and told us they'd never do that. And it was like, do we want to try to solve this? And I was like, well, you know, success, or, uh, success and significance, here's where you can either put up or shut up. So that's why we started it. Even though startups are hard. And, I, and it's, if anything, I would just say, you know, they always take twice as long, twice as hard. Why do I do them? It's just like, oh. I'd much rather turn a company. What do you think you were supposed to learn from a startup? <sighs> Patience, maybe. <laughs> Out of failing forward all the time. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, but yeah, there's so much on that one. I we, where do we even start unpacking that? Startups are tough. Yeah, they are really tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, high risk, high reward, though. Yeah, it is. It is high risk, high reward. It can be lonely. It can be a lot of other things too. We glamorize, I think, always the the success part of it. And I don't think we talk nearly enough about the ass whipping that most days are of what you're trying to manage and literally do everything. Um, yeah. doesn't mean it's not worth it. I just think there's always trade-offs. And it's, again, back to that balance piece. Okay. So back to the balance. So you said that your brother now is working with you there. Yep. And- he was promoted. Can I share that? He was. He was just Can today. We, talk about that? we just announced it today. Well, we haven't yeah. announced it publicly, but we announced it internally. <laughs> well, well, people won't hear from here. This will be a couple of weeks out. I know. Like, it's not a big deal. Uh, Brian, uh, how was that journey for you of, of bringing him on, passing this, you know, delegating to him? Oh, it's been great. Hard, easy. Really, really easy. I mean, in the aspect of, was it right for him? We used to work together before. And as I mentioned, we almost went into to business together. We have very different skill sets. He's a lawyer by trade, uh, operations minded, mm -hmm. has done technology stuff, wicked talented individual. Um, so he's really good at all the internal stuff. I'm more, you know, external, even though I am introverted, I'm still, I want to go out and make deals happen. I don't want to get bogged down in the details. I want to be focused on the vision and strategy. Like, Tell me where we're going, then I'll figure out the details. He's more of tell me how it's made, and then we'll figure out where we're going. So it's we, uh -huh. we, we bring a nice uh -huh. balance, and it's it's good, you know. Like I mean, it's your brother. Like how can you not trust him? Like you just know that you, each other you got each other's back, and yeah, it's going to lead to disagreements, but you both got to bend on different things, and you know we're learning on that too. But it's it's been awesome. What's the one question that you didn't want me to ask you today? Oh, what's the one question you didn't want me to ask? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not you. No, 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 no. I don't know. What's next? I guess that would probably be it. Like, you know, what's next? I don't know how to answer that. Like, I'm having fun with what yeah, I'm Yeah, what's next? Yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like you need to know what's next? 
Because I think it's really interesting with somebody that's a total high performer, right? How do you slow down your performance train? I mean, you said Iron Man, you said you have multiple businesses, the fact that you'd like to do turnarounds. I mean, you're an achiever. I don't know what your strengths finder is, but I'm sure that maybe it's in there. <laughs> um, trying to figure that out, right? Trying to figure out how to find peace in the moment. That's a hard one, right? And it's, those are the things that we don't talk about. Like, yeah. oh, we have all this other stuff. And I think it's the internal challenges that we often just face of, you know, I got out of a bunch of my businesses, so I would have less to do. And now it's like, you got to sit in that. How do you find peace in the now? And you have to sit in that. Yeah. 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 I think I, I don't know if I told you this, um, but when I went on my trip to Iceland, which listeners were hoping that Brian's going to do this trip too. When I went on that trip, are you doing it? I haven't booked it yet. I got to figure out dates and there's a lot to oh figure out yet. <laughs> you have to book it. Anyway, when mm. I went on that trip, it gave me time. I wasn't checking email. I wasn't working. Uh, you know, I was in a bus from location to location or hiking or whatever. And just sitting in that was uncomfortable, but gave literally gave me probably most growth in that trip. It was a hard trip, but so much growth from that trip to sit in the discomfort of change that had been happening personally. And, and also just like of being busy all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's so weird because we want peace of mind and then we get to it and it's maybe it's just the transition period. That's hard. Yeah. You know, can I share a story? Do I have time to share a story? Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah. I, I, when I sit in this and I'm trying to figure this out, I'm often reminded. So I was told a story. I think when, I think one of my classmates said, he goes, Brian, he goes, here's the story about a lot of us. We're, we're all high achievers. We're all executives trying to do stuff. He goes, one day, one of this was one executive is on vacation in Mexico and he's sitting there on the beach and he starts getting bored. And he looks down the beach and he sees this guy who lives there. Um, he's native to, to the island and he has a fishing boat, a little fishing boat. And he has a little hut there on the, on the uh, sand and, and, and the beach. And he goes out fishing. And he goes, and he watches this. And then, you know, second day he watches and he gets more. Third day, he walks down to him. He's like, you know, I see you go out. You go out around 10 o'clock. You're back at noon. You have plenty of fish. He goes, you ever thought about buying, you know, maybe staying out an extra hour and catching some more? And that goes for what? He goes, well, you can sell them down to the local market. He goes, well, what would you do if, what would I do if I sold them at the local market? He's like, well, you save up and you could buy another boat. The guy goes, oh, man, well, that, that's cool. What would I do with the other boat? He goes, well, then you hire one of your friends to go fishing. And he goes, you do this after a while and pretty soon you could have a, a fleet of boats. And the guy's like, well, why would I want a fleet of boats? He's like, well, then you'd have a company and you could, you know, you could scale that and then you could sell it. He goes, well, that sounds really interesting. If I did that, what would I do if I sold it? He goes, well, you'd have a lot of money and you could retire to a desert island, live on the beach and play with your wife and kids every day and go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I interviewed a guy two weeks ago and he was one of the 150th first employees at Patagonia. So he worked there like in the 70s. Yeah. And ended up running textile sustainability for them. I mean, he created textile sustainability before anybody else knew it. And he was saying how the CEO really didn't want to grow. And he's like the fisherman. Yeah. Okay. That is contrary to my brain. 
I just say I know how to live it. I just say it's always stuck with right. me when I'm sitting in it. I just keep going back like, to I'm it. Like, I'm like, why can't I be that smart? <laughs> oh, I know. Why do I always get lost in the noise? That's the better question. Because it's safer there. Right. I think there's something to that. Right. No, I think there is, right? It's, it's easier to sit in other people's noise than it is to sit in ours. Yeah. Okay, so wise person. So what's your advice to people? And I really, we got to talk about the man in the arena behind you because it just keeps like, I'm being drawn to it. It's so good. What do you love about that? You know, it's uh, one, I mean, if you just read the quote, it's amazing. Um, And I actually remember the first time I was sent that, uh, I'd ever read it, uh, was when I did my first Ironman. My younger brother, who I work with, sent it to me. Yeah. Um, Really? Yeah. And he'd send it to me and I was just like, okay, that's so good. Right. And it's. What I just love about it is just get out there and get in, get in the fight, get in the, get in the arena. Like you're going to get bloodied. You're going to fall down. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be humiliated, but you're also going to have the thrill and the exhilaration and everything else. And it's not always about playing it safe. I mean, even what we're trying to do here at RevGen, right? We, we talk, we're, we're trying to set our strategy and stuff for next year. And there's so much to be fixed. It's like, we just got to start. Don't let perfect be in the way of good and, and it, we're going to get it wrong. But look at our core products and our flagship products. They were, like, we go back and watch what we originally did. It's like, it's horrible, but now it's gotten better. But we just started because we got in the arena. And that's what I think is the big thing. Just we let so much fear and doubt and everything else grip us. And I try not to. It's always like, what the hell? Let's try it. You know what I think also you're getting in the arena around was the challenge that we talked about around contentment and peace and significance so right we have to enter the arena around that yeah and that's where i think to figure it out yeah and i think that's where we just don't do a great job especially in our society right and in the american society because we're always very fast-paced very driven very you know success oriented and how do we maybe not always be just focused on that well what would your dad say i mean anything that comes from from the native american piece no, not so much. I mean, I think one of the most really? profound things that my dad, I mean, my dad's been, you know, struggled to put food on the table and, and bills and everything else. And it's not a, a prideful story. We were having a discussion maybe 15 years ago, just over a decade or so ago, something. I can't remember how the conversation got happening. And I remember him stopping and this floored me. And he looked at me and he said, you know what the difference is between us though, Brian? And I said, what's that, Pops? And he goes, my dream was to always have a house that had electricity and running water. Didn't always work, but I had that. And I was just like, that was a, like, when you think about what his upbringing was and what he gave us for opportunities, right? I mean, he, he raised us off the reservation. Yeah, a lot of stories that we could talk about around that, but it doesn't matter. He gave us a better leg up than he had. And trying to now pay that forward for, you know, my kids and, and nieces and nephews and that we can. It's the decisions that we make today, we don't know the ripple effect it'll have for generations to come. And I think that's some of the comments that he's made around that to me it just has been like, okay, you need to just reflect sometimes. And, you know, and it's interesting, Sarah, this, yeah. this time of year, I was looking up the uh, last night and I sent it over to my kids and stuff, Silver Santa. Um 
you know, which is our elderly who are often forgotten. So it's uh, Meals on Wheels oh, does it. It's, I was like, what's yeah, it's like the, it's like the angel oh. tree, but for seniors, right? But it's uh, they call it Silver Santa here in the Metroplex, and it's cute. Yeah, okay. So if they get Meals on Wheels, they get a created Christmas list. And I was like, well, this would be fun. You know, the kids, we can sit down and we can pick some people out to yeah. to adopt and sponsor yeah. them. And what was just the reality check that I think is easy to get insulated from when we get caught up in our day to day was how many of these elderly folks were asking for, you know, just basic hygiene products for the year. And you know, they're having to make tough choices. And it's just like, we have so much to be grateful for. So I don't always need to be focused on the, the you know, it's easy to walk past some of the things that we should just remember. And that's again why I love the space that I work in in the, in the nonprofit field is because it's often focused on those to give them a leg up. Uh, as a friend of mine always says, a hand up, not a handout. Um, and it's, mm. and it's interesting. So it's just lots of things to reflect on when, especially when you're trying to sit in this, like what's next for me stuff. Right. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. Woe is not me. It's like really it's, Yes. Centers you. (laughs) And yeah, I love the quote. Gratitude is the attitude. Oh, And that's the right attitude. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point, especially coming after coming off Thanksgiving and, and hitting the holidays because, and also there's so many people who are lonely during the holidays, like elderly who don't have family around them. Yes. And to be able to have friends and family, that was my like greatest blessing over Thanksgiving was just spending time with my sister and my brother and their spouses and kids. It was like giggle time. Right. It was great. <laughs> yes. It's, it's Okay. Brian, I think I'm going to sum up for us. Remember how I told you we'll have a nice ending there. I think I love this whole concept of success and significance. And I think it's really cool to see what you did early on and achieved in your early career. And then how much you're giving back. And I know you're going to be humble and be like, whatever, but it is, it is very inspiring. And I can't wait to hear uh, what, what comes up next, even though, you know what, we're just going to live in the moment. Right. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for taking the time and a shout out to our buddy Aisha for connecting us. Absolutely. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 